And I'm just so thankful, amen, for God this morning. He's so faithful to us. We don't deserve anything. We don't deserve anything but God's harsh judgment, but yet He shows us mercy and grace. Amen. Amen. You know, I've even come to God before and just said, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm unworthy of anything that you have done for me. And, but I, I, I know the character of God, and I know the heart of God, and I know His nature from the Word of God, and that He loves us with an everlasting love. And He draws us by His loving kindness. And, and He does something in us that makes us a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, you know, the work of the cross is powerful. It makes men that you would never, ever give a nickel for become men and women. That you, I mean, the world. Well, I shouldn't even say the world. The world's used and abused them and thrown them on the scrap heap. But God sees a treasure that he brings out of darkness. That's beautiful to see how man uh, takes bad men and makes them good. Amen. And how he does that, I don't know. I used to ask my dad, how does God do this? He said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how a black and white cow eats green grass and makes white milk and yellow butter, but it does. And I said, you know what, Dad? I said, I don't have to ask no theologian. You just gave me the easiest, simplest answer. And you know what? I may just be a country bumpkin, but that's all right. Amen. I know that God doesn't want things to be complicated. He doesn't make things complicated. They're simple to us so we can understand. He said you must come as a child. If you don't come in childlike faith and childlike humility, you can't come at all. You must come that way. And thank the Lord when we come that way, God begins to touch us and show us and reveal himself to us. And it's a beautiful thing. Amen. Thank God this morning. I'm just excited to look around the building and see people, you know, that God has done something so beautiful in your life. And He made you who you are today. You are who you are because of His grace. You're where you're at because of His grace. Amen. And because of His Holy Spirit and the work of the cross. This morning, I, I want you to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And um, we're going to preach a little bit here on a man by the name of Uriah. Uriah. <laughs> Amen. Uriah. That's a beautiful name. Amen. Uriah. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, the Bible says this. Second Samuel 11. And it came to pass... After the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. First mistake. Amen. If you step out of the warfare, if you step out of the battle, I can tell you, if you're not fighting or killing sin, sin will be trying to kill you. And it came to pass in evening tide, because the devil always works in the night season. Oh yeah. 
uh-huh. I'm just going to say it. And, and you know, you, you, you find yourself watching things, doing things, thinking things, being tempted of things almost at midnight or in evening tide. Amen. Because the devil works when it's dark. Amen. If you ask statistically, and I'm not going to, but if you ask, people would tell you, you can almost pinpoint exactly when the enemy starts working. Amen. Because he knows the next day the mercies are new. Everything's new and begins in a new day. <laughs> mercies begin. You have your daily dose of God's bread. You have your time where you meet with him. And, and you pray the Lord's Prayer, and, and you should, as you pray, just use that as a model, as a pattern. But he said, give us this day our daily bread. We come, we take up our cross daily. Every day is a new day. And he knows I've got to work while it's night, because while it's a dark time, while they're at the end of their day, because I know that they're, they're at their most vulnerable place. That's why we need the morning and the evening sacrifice. <laughs> that ain't even on my notes, but... You're welcome. But the Bible says, And it came to pass in the evening time that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, or Hittite. And David sent messengers and took her. So he didn't just inquire and realize it's wrong. <laughs> he went further beyond <laughs> when he knew he was moving into sin. It was willful. Okay? Now, David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him. And he laid with her, for she was purified from her uncleanliness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. You know, I want to say this because I was just studying it, and there are some commentaries that say that Bathsheba was, uh, was part of what was taking place. Others say she wasn't. She was innocent. But... Someone said in a commentary, and take it for what it's worth, that she wanted to have the king's son. Because she told him immediately. Now, I'm not a theologian. I'm not going to say that's gospel. I'm just telling you this, for this simple, this simple thing to tuck away to remember. That temptation comes, and... The enemy will make sure that there's somebody there that will accommodate what you're looking for. He ain't never going to send you, ladies, an ugly old man. He's going to send you somebody, you're going to go, wow, wow. You ain't going to, I'm telling you right now. And you know, sometimes, well, I'm just going to stop right there. But just say, <laughs> The enemy, the enemy will make sure that what you're looking for, you're crossing paths with it. Amen. <laughs> and so the Bible says, And David sent to Joab, 
said, send me Uriah the high tide. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house and all the servants of his Lord, with all of his servants of the Lord, his Lord, and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down into his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then did you not go down into your house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark, the ark. And he said, In Israel and, and Judah, abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go into my house to eat, to drink, to lie with my wife as you livest and thy soul liveth? I will not do this thing. And David said unto Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. You want to know why we preach against alcohol in here? You should just run from it. People say, well, I think I can have a glass of wine. Well, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you right now, literally that's between you and God, but I'm going to tell you right now, the moment, first of all, that you begin to become slightly inebriated and your thinking begins to go south, you've already begun to sin. Some people can't take two sips of alcohol and they're toast already. Okay? But let's put that to the side for just a second, even though that's an important point. The fact of the matter is this, that nothing good ever comes from alcohol. Nothing. And you ought to know that as a Christian and say, I, I should run from that and stay as far away from it as I can. Because David here, and there's all these little nuggets in the Bible that you see of why we shouldn't. Okay? and But he, he begins to, um, the Bible says that he, David called him and he did eat and drink before him and he made him drunk. And at even, even, at even, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he went not down to his house. And it, and that's all I want to say right there. I, I want to stop right there and we're going to pray over the word of God. We know that, um, let me just say this, that Uriah went back to battle with David sending a letter to Joab. I'm just going to read it. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab, verse 14, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had his own death notice, death warrant. And he wrote in the letter saying, See ye Uriah in the forefront, or set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah into a place where he knew the valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab. And there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. Let's pray. Father, I ask you today to help me to minister to this congregation. Speak words of life to me. That I would speak what thus saith the Lord. 
And God, minister to this congregation a word that will stir them and encourage them. And Lord, help me. Help me, please. Help me. I beg of you, and I don't have to beg, but I'm, I am, that's how fervent and passionate I am about what I'm going to say. I'm asking you to give me an unction from above because, Lord, it is my responsibility as the pastor, as the shepherd of this church, as the overseer of men's souls, Lord, under this flock, uh, under the sound of my voice in this flock, to lead them and to edify them and to preach to them truth, Lord, so that they can come <clears throat> and they can uh, make their calling and election sure. And Lord, make sure that they're right with you, Lord, and that they have the word of God preached to stir faith and to stir their hearts by your spirit. And Lord, I'm asking you to do that today and anoint these lips of clay. And God will give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I'm preaching today just simply this word, Uriah. The Lord cautioned me not to speak and title it the spirit of Uriah or the heart of Uriah or anything like that because, um, because we definitely want to elevate Christ. Everything. It's not, you know... Uh, the, the spirit of Elijah or this, that's the spirit of God in us. And that's what made them who they were, was Christ, was God, was the anointing of God. And so I don't want to move away from that and somebody say, you know, I want a Uriah spirit. No, you want the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the Lord cautioned me, he said, make sure you glorify me and edify me. <clears throat> you know, but I'm preaching on Uriah and his life as an example. Because I believe his life and his example will speak volumes to us. Proverbs 10 verse 11 says, A righteous mouth is a well of life. And what he spoke here in verse 11 is so powerful and it speaks of the person that he was, the person that he knew and the spirit of Christ and the spirit of God that he had within him. And I believe that we need to hear these words and be encouraged by men that had courage, men that had resolve, men that were faithful stewards over their own soul and over their influence over other people. I believe that, especially in the day of our great spiritual warfare, we need to be people that understand the kind of person that we ought to be. So it would behoove us to glean and pattern our lives after such godly examples. And even the Word of God says that. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, Hebrews chapter 12, we should, uh, we should glean from those witnesses and realize the God that they served is the God that I serve and the person that I'm supposed to be. It's not to be contrary from what we see in the Word of God. What Caleb did, I can do. What David did, I can do what Daniel did I can do or I can be what the Apostle Paul was and Timothy and and everyone else what Christ patterned for us we can be amen the ultimate the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate example but it would behoove us to glean and pattern our lives after such godly examples now what made Uriah so great well number one his name firstly means light of Yah and if you know what Yah 
means it's the short version of Yahweh. It's in Psalm 68, I believe the fourth verse. But the Bible says that uh, Yahweh is the Hebrew name for God. And Uriah had an awesome name. He had a powerful name. And it denoted his character. Name always denotes character. But he was, a, he was the light of Yah or the fire of Yahweh. When we say hallelujah, that's what that means. We're praising God, the Hebrew name for God. And uh, he was, but he was a man on fire for God, so deep that it permeated the deepest core of who he was. If we've ever needed godly people in this generation, we need them now. People that will stand, amen, It will stand for truth, will stand for righteousness, will stand, amen, for God and his word, will stand when the tide is beating against them. I can tell you, the anchor will hold in spite of the tide that we're feeling. Come beat against us. We've got to stand in the hour that we're living in. Amen. So his name means light of Yah, fire of Yahweh. One, he was one of David's mighty men according to 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 39. He was also noted by Josephus in the Dead Sea Scrolls that they found. And he was recorded as Joab's armor bearer. And I didn't write this down. Well, maybe I did on the other page and I just remembered it. Thank you, Lord. But he was, he was Joab's armor bearer, so he had to have been in the cave of Adullam. He had to have been there. Everything he was, everything he knew, the personage that he was, was of the Spirit of God that flowed through David, that ministered unto Uriah. He was a man, amen, who sat under a giant killer. Do you hear me today? And, and, and what was in David was imparted unto Uriah. That's the person he was. Why did I say that? Because any one of us can be just like David, but we can also decline down to a place where we are a misrepresentation of God and we send the wrong message or we don't live, I should say, the example that we're supposed to. But there will be people that we've poured into that never change the message. They never change the person that they come to be through Christ. We learn who he was in chapter 11, Uriah. Because the Bible doesn't tell us about his military honors. It doesn't tell us. It never says that he killed 800 men. It never says like Eleazar that his hand claved to a sword and he slew men all day. It doesn't say like it says about Shema that defended the pea patch there, the lentil patch, fighting against the Philistines. It never says that he fought a lion-like man in a snowy pit, or in a snowy pit, you know, on a snowy day. Amen. It never says that, but he did exhibit stellar, righteous character. We live in a time when God needs us to be people who have character, even more so than charisma. We must have character. That's when, I can tell you, when there's a war going on, Uriah proved this is no time to play or indulge in fleshly behavior. 
we got to be people that are an example of Christ. You know why a lot of people don't go to church? Because too many people prove to them that they don't believe what they say they believe. Amen. I know the church has hypocrites in it. There have been times every one of us in here have been hypocritical. You can say, I ain't never been hypocritical. Yes, we all have at one time or another. Every one of us has. But let me tell you, we're, we are searching. We are, we are striving. We are pursuing after God not to be a hypocrite. My God in heaven, we're people who are longing for Him. Every one of us, amen, has times where we find ourselves failing God. But we get back up amen so when they say I don't come to church because there are hypocrites there tell them well you know what every one of us have been hypocritical you need to tell me that you're a perfect sinner that doesn't have any hypocrisy in them you don't well, you know what? I, I, I always love to tell this story I said not story because I ain't never been there but I heard T.D. Jake say one time he said you say you don't want to come to church because of hypocrisy in the church he said you ain't a hypocrite when you go to the street club you mean to tell me you really feel about that woman like you say you do see they hold us to a standard but they give themselves grace well let me tell you something I believe we all should be held as Christians to a high standard but everybody needs to understand, ain't a one of us anything but because of the grace of God. So I tell them, you won't come to church because those hypocrites. But the hypocrites are closer to God than you are. Because they're trying to meet Jesus. They're trying to serve Jesus. They're trying to please Jesus. So I'm telling you that it happens in the church. It ought not to be, but it happens. But let's not make excuses for ourselves. But let's live up to the name that we're supposed to live up to. So what Uriah was saying is when there's a war going on, there ain't no time to play or indulge in fleshly behavior. He was a stellar example of faithful integrity. People's integrity lasts till they get to the back door and then they're done. By the time they get to the parking lot, their integrity goes out the window a lot of times. It ought not to be. Uriah had integrity on the battlefield and he had integrity when he was away from the battle. He had integrity, integrity, integrity. He had integrity even when David was trying to get him to sin. We need to have integrity when people are trying to get us to do things that we ought not to do and we know better than to do. You can be in the presence of people not because you want to be, but because of circumstance, it just happens. There's times you're with family. There's times you're at functions. And we ought to show Christ when we're there. And you know, how will they ever know the difference if they don't see the contrast? But we stand there and we say, I'm going to live for God, but I'm not going to drink your liquor. I'm not going to act like you act. I'm going to act like a Christian's supposed to act. And I'm not going to cast judgment upon you, but I'm going to show you that there's a difference between me and you. I'm not better than you, but I am different than you. 
it becomes wrong and sin when you say I'm better. And that is an attitude. That is a spirit. I'm better than you. No, you ain't. But you can be different and you should be different. And when you're in the midst of people that are trying or in a bunch of sin and nonsense, you show Christ. You show Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. Oh, my God. The Bible says in verse 9 that he never went down to his house to be with his wife, but he slept with the servants because he had God's heart. He had, he had God's heart. And Jesus took on the form of a servant. We are to be servants. Amen. Servants unto God and servants unto others. And Uriah had the same heart of God. Just like David had God's heart. But he had a moment because if you are not staying before God in deep devotion and staying on that battlefield, the devil will take you out. It's never the wildebeest that are with the whole group. It's that one that's straggling in the back. And those lions go, there's our, there's our, our fool. He's over there and just... You know, I'll take up. you got to stay with the herd. Because <laughs> if you don't, you're going to fall prey to the enemy. Come on now. That he was a man of deep convictions, who had deep convictions. He would not let someone else bear his spiritual responsibility. You want to know why we oftentimes have to deal with things and we're... we're in bondage or we're oppressed or we're going through things, it's because we have not been faithful to our spiritual responsibility. You have a responsibility to pray. You have a responsibility to build yourself up in the Word. You have a responsibility to pray, God, cover my mind. Let me not yield to temptation. You have a responsibility to pray the Lord's Prayer. Give me this day my daily bread. Let me be that soldier in the army of the Lord. Let me not abdicate my responsibility and my place. But see, we don't. And then somebody that is a faithful soldier has to come down and have to pray you through and thank God we have prayer warriors I'm not discounting that we have to pray people through but some people it's a constant thing and what they need to do is they need to get down here and make a decision for God and stick to it stick to it don't make somebody else be the burden bearer of your spiritual responsibility. We got enough people out there that don't know anything about spiritual responsibility and their, their, their faithfulness unto God. They're not saved. So that's what the body is supposed to go and do. We're supposed to go and pray for those that are bound. We're supposed to pour into them, love them, speak to them. But when you're in the army and you're not doing that, you're a liability. Look, please do not misunderstand what I'm saying because I'm preaching to an army today. I'm preaching to God's people today. And Paul said, Timothy, endure hardness like a good soldier. Endure hardness like a good soldier. 
Amen. Yes, God's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He gave him encouragement. He said, He said, endure hardness. Don't you allow anything to come against you. Don't let nobody despise your youth. Just remember, you're a soldier in this army. You're a child of God. You've got the Holy Ghost within you. You've got the grace of God and the power of God behind you. Act like that. Remember that. You're part of the Lord's army. So he had deep convictions. He would not let someone else bear his spiritual responsibility. And what was that? When David asked him, why didn't you go down to your house? I'm going to tell you why, King David. Because I care about that ark. He said, Uriah, verse 10, you came from your journey. Why didn't you go down into your house? I know David was trying to cover his tracks. I know he was trying to cover up his sin. He said, if Uriah goes down there, he'll lay with his wife, and then everybody will think that it's Uriah's boy or girl. He's got brown hair. I got brown hair. We're about the same height. Our face kind of looks the same. Nobody will know. God knew. Be sure your sins will find you out. People have tried to cover up murders and tried to do all kinds of things, but they, they, they fail to, uh, a lot of times, consider all things. And David thought, for sure, because he's going to be like me, you know. He'll go down there. David, at that point in time, was really, in essence, backslid. He was. 100%. He was. And he, he, he had lied. He had, well, not at that point, but he had eventually had him murder, because it's a slippery slope, sin is. I was reading John Corson and how he talked about how that he took his boys up to some, some hiking place and there was this rock, I believe up in Washington or Oregon, wherever he's at, I think it's Oregon. But he said there was this sloping rock and it was like it slid straight down. And he said, you know, he said, I don't know if he saw it or if they had, it had happened. I believe he saw it. But he said there were people that would get up there before they had a, a, a fence. So he, he didn't see it. But they would get on that rock and they would start to slide down. And they would slide down to a death. It was a slippery slide all the way down. You had no place to catch yourself, no place to hold on to because it was just a smooth rock that went right down. That's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to get to the place where you don't have any footing, where you can't hold on to anything, and then everything, everything that, that he wants to do in and through you, he'll do. So not only did he commit adultery, but he deceived, he lied, he tried to cover it up. Then he brought murder about, or he had uh, him murdered, sent him on the front lines there with Joab, and he had him murdered. And, and on top of that, he tried to cover it up. And then he was nine months in church with his hands in the air, going to church, acting like nothing was wrong. Until God sent a voice. And said, you're wrong. You're a sinner. You're the man. Of course God forgave him. Of course God set him free. God delivered him. But he had consequences with it. That's not what I want to really preach about today. I want to talk to you about the caliber of man Uriah was. Because when David asked him, how come you didn't go down to your house? Uriah said unto David, the ark. 
the ark. Not only the ark, but Israel and Judah. They all abide in tents. And am I going to go down to my house? In other words, what he was saying is they're out there on the battlefield fighting. Who am I to come here and not be equal with them out there? Yeah, you called me here and I'm here. But I don't want to be here. I want to be there. That's where my heart is. A lot of people in the same circle, but they don't all have the same heart. <clears throat> There's people that want me to just run ripshod through the church and start slapping people and exposing people for things that I may know or that God may show me. But I want you to know something, that that's not my heart. My heart is for people to repent, not expose all of their smut. I've had people say to me, you ought to kick them to the curb. I said, nope, God didn't kick you to the curb. And believe me, you are kickable. That's a word right there. I've had him say, you ought to just rebuke him right from the pulpit. I said, let me tell you, I didn't rebuke you the 15 times I should have. Even though there is a church discipline, but I have this approach. God said, just get that Holy Ghost moving. And he'll move if you'll set the atmosphere. And then you'll have people begin to cross aisles. They'll begin to pray, repent. They'll begin to get in the altar. They'll get things right. They'll get things right with people. When you have the Holy Ghost moving in your midst, there's a lot of things. It will just take care of itself by the, by the power of the Spirit of God. He's faithful. But he said the ark, the ark of God. Uriah had a strong conviction about protecting the ark. If you know what the ark is, you go all the way back to the Old Testament when God had Moses make the ark of the covenant and it was placed in the Holy of Holies. And that's where the priest once a year went in and applied that sacrificial blood and God forgave the sins of Israel. It's a special place. It's where the presence of God dwelt. Amen. The Holy of Holies. And, you know, that is the very presence of God, the ark. Some people would say, well, pastor, God doesn't need anybody to protect him. He's God. He's not talking about protecting you, him so much, but you. You and I are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are the very temple of God. Our faculties are not to be used for sinful things, but a lot of times people allow themselves to defile that temple, and God is saying I want that temple to be holy the thing that you are to protect is the very habitation of God that you have control over that's why he said present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service no God doesn't need protecting but he's trying to keep you and I from drawing back under perdition he's trying to keep you and I from becoming lukewarm that's what we have to protect against. We have a responsibility to stir up the gift of God within us. We have a responsibility to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. We have a responsibility to keep ourselves in the love of God. And I know that it's a work of God's grace. And whenever you don't feel like loving God, He will put His Spirit there to love Him. But you and I have to respond to that. 
I know that we can become a form of godliness. I know that our conscience can be seared with a hot iron. So it tells me, you can go even further than that to Romans chapter 1 where you see a person becomes reprobate because they've completely suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. And there's a give up. I don't like to preach that. It's not my favorite topic. But the fact of the matter is this. I'm sharing with you that we have to keep this temple holy by our decisions and our choices. I know it's God sanctifying us, but you and I'm going to tell you, but you and I have to make decisions that are going to foster and bring about a pure life. We are the habitation of Christ and the beautiful Holy Spirit. And you cannot stop fighting or abandon your post to protect the ark. Uriah had David's heart because he had God's heart. Think about it. And The Spirit of God is something that must be cherished and protected as the most precious thing because it can be quenched. He can be quenched. He can be grieved. Amen. He can be blasphemed or he can be disregarded. It's all in the Bible. We as people that want and cherish and value and put a premium on the Holy Spirit must remember that. Uriah said, how can I? The ark, the armies of Israel, Judah, dwell in tents. That right there alone ought to tell you something. We are skin tents that house the very presence of God. Amen. This building isn't the church. You're the church. We're the ecclesia. We're the church. You, the Spirit of God is here. You want to know why? Not because there's something special about this building. It's because you brought the Holy Ghost with you. And where the Spirit of God dwells, there's liberty. There's freedom. And it's contagious. People come in, they're dead, and they see you up here shouting and praising God, and they're like, I want to get in there. Amen. I remember being a little kid, I thought, they're all in the pool, I want to get in there. You're scared to death, you go over and you dip your toe in there, you know, and you're stepping back. But you want to get in there with everybody else. It's a wonderful place to be, I'm moving on here. But listen, he said, how can I? The ark, the armies of Israel, Judah dwell in tents. We've missed it when we view ourselves as an island or as an isolated entity in the the church. We've got that going on all over YouTube and all over the social media and all these people that say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. No, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But the only two people that I ever read about that were actually isolated was John on the Isle of Patmos, and that was for persecution. 
or judgment. And Elijah was at the brook of Cherith for God's protection to feed him and take care of him till it was time for him to debut and speak his prophetic word that God gave him. Only two places. Everywhere else I read, it's a body. It's a family. And these people that say, well, I don't have to go to church. You know, I don't have to be in the four walls and the confines of that. No, you don't. But, but to, to be a Christian. But I'm going to tell you, when you're a Christian, you want to be a part of the body. Because let me just give you a, a little news flash here, just in case you or somebody else that you know feels that way. There is not an isolated place and a room in heaven for you by yourself. It's a body. We're a body. You know, and the old song was Merle Haggard or who sang it, maybe Hank Williams or one of them old timers. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. No, you don't. You got, you're part of the body. When you got Jesus, you're part of the body. So you are part of a church. And let me just say this. There, is, there, are, there are oftentimes highs and lows in every church, in every relationship, in every family. We go through hills and valleys. We go through times where things are good and we're rejoicing. We go through times where we're going through troubles and situations. But you don't give up on the family. Amen. You don't stomp your feet and get walk out the building. If you have to be corrected, you embrace it because you're in the family. Amen. My boys are here today. There were times I had to correct them. There were times I had to put them in check. And they understand that. Amen. They understood that you're part of the family here's the priest of this household amen just remember that don't ever forget that the head right here praise God I've got the credit card I've got the car keys I've got the title the, do the, the house belongs to me the door belongs to me those boys always understood my dad is in charge here in this house so let's line up or Ain't going to be no blessing. I told them. I said, if you boys serve God, you live for God. I said, I'll bless you. You bring a curse on me, I'm telling you right now, expect nothing. Oh, Pastor, that's horrible. No, it's not. No, it's not. You make my life miserable. The money that you're going to cause me to have to pay to get you out of jail or to fix all your problems, there goes your car. I told them both. And when they were 16, Cameron said, hey. He said, I serve God. I obey you. And he did. I'm doing good in school. I've been a blessing to you. And he said, I'd like to have my car. And you know what? It's time to pony up. And I said, well, we'll get to looking. He said, I've already found it. Amen. <laughs> Pulled it up off of offer up. Bright red fire engine Camaro. And you know what? We drove out to wherever we drove out to, me and the whole youth group. Amen. I don't know how all six of us fit in the back of that little Camaro, but we did. Amen. <laughs> That's the way it's supposed to be. We're a body. 
We're a family. And we rejoiced together. We were excited together. We prayed together. Angela or I would say, let's pull together. Let's pray. We got this need. We got this. We got this situation. Even to this day, I'll call them up and I say, hey, listen, this is what we're going through. This is what we're looking at. I need you to pray. And they always begin to come and pray with us and agree with us. And so does the body of Christ. We're a body. This is not my church. This is our church. We are the church. We're in this thing together. Uriah said, how can I do that? We've missed it when we view ourselves as islands and isolated. The Bible is filled with language like fellowship, body, unity, family. But we act as if we don't need each other, and we do. We are to edify and build each other up. Amen. And ministry in this church should be edifying. You know what, church? I want to share something with you that the Lord has recently laid upon my heart. We need to be very careful how we minister to one another. We need to be very careful to make sure that we edify one another and that we would speak like Jesus would speak, in truth but with love. Amen? Sheep don't correct sheep. The pastor's the one that's to correct the sheep in the church, not a lay member. Do you understand that? That's a good place to say amen. Amen. If I'm out of line, I can tell you God will send somebody and they will come to me and say something to me. But in my 23 years almost of being a pastor, February 6th, God deals with me. I have a head and I promise you I'm far more afraid of Him than I am any person here upon this earth. I'm going to stand before God one day. I'm going to have to give an account for your soul. I'm going to have to give an account for everything that I did and my accountability goes far higher than anything anybody could speak to me I lay in that prayer closet and I beg God please don't let me get off please don't let me go wrong please keep me right here he said if you stay before me you'll always stay on the straight and narrow I've learned a lot of things and I'm still learning 23, 22 almost 23 years of pastoring amen I've learned how to talk to people I've learned to respect people. Look, before I'm going to come up and pop you on the back of the head, and I ain't never done that, I'm going to say, Becky, let's sit down and talk. we got a problem here. Let's talk about this. Because I love you. You're part of this body. You're one of my sheep. And how I respond to you and how I talk to you matters. It's very important. That's why Peter said, don't lord over the flock. God said to him, don't lord over the flock. Lead them by instruction. Lead them by example. Don't do it for money. I don't do it for money. I promise you. I want to say to you here publicly, and I mean this with all my heart. You know, people gave, and I thank you for giving money. I thank you for all of that. But church, the, the greater blessing to me is the, the cards that you write to me. The things that you write to me are an encouragement to me because when I'm going through one of my lowest moments, when the devil's, you know, trying to speak into my ear and he does it to me just like he does it to you, and I'm binding him and I'm rebuking him, but the enemy still brings these thoughts, and you've got to cast down all those imaginations and everything that would exalt itself against God and the faith 
that he's put in you and the, the, the encouragement and the word he's put in you, you have to cast those things down. But whenever I'm going through some of my lowest moments when the enemy says, nobody wants to hear you, nobody likes you, all these lies that he tells me, I pull out those cards that you've written to me that have told me, thank you for being such a faithful pastor. Thank you for preaching to us every week. Thank you for the things that you've poured into us. Church, your cards, your words mean far more to me than anything you could ever give me. And I mean that with all my heart. I'm a shepherd. We're a body. We're to edify and build each other up. So if you're going to speak prophetically or in tongues and interpretation in this church, it must be God. It must be God. You cannot just shoot from the hip. It must be God. And let me say, we are a Pentecostal church. Oh, I'm on a roll. We are a Pentecostal church. And we believe in tongues. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in tongues. We believe in tongues and interpretation. I believe in prophecy, all the gifts of the Spirit. We want them to operate in our midst, but we want them to operate as God would, would, would begin to cause us to by His Spirit. Never out of something that we feel we need to say to somebody whether it's in prayer or whether it's in a, a, a meeting, we need to make sure that it must be God. And if you don't know 150% that it's God, shut your mouth because you can do greater damage. Not only, listen, because I'm going to appeal to some folks this morning that God is beginning to use. And there's many people in here God is beginning to use. And we'll see more as the days continue on as we grow as a church spiritually. But listen to me. Not only can you speak to someone and do damage, but you can also do damage to your own testimony and example because it's by our fruits that we're known. That's why he said if a prophet's false, he said you're going to know because they're 100% every time. They don't go like this. They're 100%. That's why we must be in tune. And I want to be very careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I want to bring balance. I want there to be balance and I want there to be things decent and in order in this church. Okay? Because... I want it to flow like a well-oiled machine in the anointing of God. And it will if we submit. And, and, and if somebody says, well, I don't have to submit to him, then you need to find another church because every person in here has a responsibility as a part of this body to submit to their pastor. Period. And if you have a harsh word for somebody, come to me. Let's talk. Because there's a lot of things that a lot of people don't know about people that I know. I know because they've come and told me. The person that they want to go talk to has already come and told me things. And there's things that people don't know. And there are things that people have said in times past. Now, I'm going back 22 years, okay? Down through the portals of time, things have been said. 
and, and, and it ended up not being God. And so I don't want your testimony to be tainted. I don't want the, uh, the prof- prophetic or tongues and interpretation or any kind of a spiritual gift that's being used to be misinterpreted or, or, or misunderstood or misguided. I want it to flow as God wants it to. And that is my word that God has given me today. He specifically told me to say it in this meeting. Uriah had a care and a concern for the ark of God, for the name of God, for the glory of God. And we must edify not only the body of Christ, because he said, what about Israel? What about Judah? What about Joab and his army? What about the ark? We must be people that want to edify not only our surrounding and the body of Christ, but ultimately God. And we are soldiers in the army of the Lord. Uriah was stating, I love God. I love his presence. I love my countrymen. I love my general Joab and David. You're my pastor and I love you. I love you. How could I dare go down and wash my feet and lay with my wife? I cannot because I care too much about the things of God. My love for God is the fire burning within me. What we don't realize sometimes is our living, pure, and innocent, but yet passionate love for God and life of integrity is somebody else's hope. I know Jesus, there's so many people want to correct me, but let me tell you something. I know Jesus is our hope and glory. I know what the scripture says. But you and I, listen to me. When I say correct me, people sometimes they come up and say, you didn't quote that scripture right. I know that. I've had two brain injuries. Give me some grace. God's helping me every day. And I don't need no brain pills. Amen. I got the gospel. I know that I cannot memorize scripture. I've tried. I read it. I memorize it for the day, and the next day I can't quote it like I could. I believe God has me at that place because he wants me to trust him. Okay? So, with all that being said, with all that being said, let me get back up here where I was so I find out where I'm going. With all of that being said, listen. We must understand that we, the life that we live, becomes somebody else's hope because you're the only Jesus they see. Andy and Joe said to me, when we saw what God did in Wanda, they were like, we had to come to that church and see what was going on. There are people that I know they may not have said it, but they went, Rodney got saved? Amen. If Rodney got saved, I'm telling you, I want to go see what's going on over there. Praise God. Henry got right. Yeah, amen. Mama Andrea's back in church. Yeah, God must have did something powerful. Amen. (laughs) Woo. Amen. You see, all these people that God has done something in their life, 
You think, my Lord, what happened? That testimony that they have of the life that they're living is somebody else's hope. It's a hope that what God did for them, he can do for me. Amen. And we've got to understand that. And that was a not even a subtle rebuke. It was a slap in David's face in essence of rebuke and conviction. But it's still, I believe that God began to deal with him. And I could go on and on, but for the sake of time, there's many places where he says, my bones were like broken broken within me. It's like I had leprosy and it's all in the Psalms but they were broken. They were like mush. You know, I was a broken man because I believe that he constantly, just like the Apostle Paul over Stephen, he probably wept over that and said, my God, how could I have stooped to such a low level? How could I have slid to such a low place? But you know, church, even though Uriah died, even though he went to his own death, God used that to bring David back to fulfill the very prophetic word of God. Would there be an Apostle Paul today had there not been a Stephen being stoned that said, Lord, lay it not to their charge. Forgive them. It's a landmark called righteous integrity. Oh, that compels me is what Uriah was saying. Proverbs 12, 22. It says that God's delight is in integrity. His delight is in integrity. And being away from the battlefield with Uriah didn't change his character. He had righteous integrity. Even though, even though he had somebody tell him it's okay to do this. Let me tell you something. Don't you ever do something that somebody else tells you to do when God told you not to. Be the same godly person at home as you are at church. Amen. Ain't what you say, how much you shout or dance or hundam a Sunday. <laughs> what matters is who you are when you're home. Who you are in front of your kids. Who you are on the job. Amen. Be the same godly person. David, away, let down his guard. Uriah kept his high. David slid down into sin, adultery, murder, cover-up. And when you lose your stand and resolve and conviction, as I said, it's a slippery slope. Church, listen. There is a spiritual war that we are fighting. And it's the devil's strategy to move us from our steadfastness and fervency to a place where we're not who we used to be. And one message that God has resonated in my heart, and you'll hear me preach about it a lot, is that for you and I to maintain that relationship with God, because that is at the core of who I am, devotion with God. Yeah, you'll hear me teach and preach on different things. You don't hear a lot of end time stuff because it's confusing to me, and I, I hit on it every once in a while, but I don't understand it. And let me tell you something. The other 1,000, 1,500 prophets on YouTube don't understand it either. All I know is this. God said the most important thing is he that has this hope purifies himself, purifies his heart, makes sure that he stays right. And so my thrust of my message is make sure 
that you're right with God. Make sure that you don't allow yourself to become lukewarm or become a person that moves away like David did, but have that kind of resolve and that kind of you know tenacity and integrity and faithfulness that Uriah had at that moment. David had it too at other times in his life, but today we're talking about Uriah and God held Uriah very high. He held him very high. Listen to me. He held him very high. A lot of times people say, you know, it'll never happen to me. It cannot. Let me tell you something. It can happen to you and I, but we cannot let it happen. And if if the devil can't get you to sin, if that don't work, he'll try discouragement. He'll try self-pity. He'll try problems, sickness, busyness, laziness, or compromise. And a little leaven levels the whole lump. Paul said, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you have not obeyed the truth? You know, it used to be you'd see people and they were backslid or away from God, out of fellowship, however you want to say They were away from God. But they were convicted away. Now, a strong delusion has come upon people that don't stay in the presence of God. And they believe a lie. The lie may be a lot of different things. The things that they so vehemently stood for, they no longer stand for. The things that were sin at one time are no longer sin to them. And I said, my God doesn't go backwards. And he doesn't want you and I to go backwards. We must learn from Uriah's life. The Lord is worthy of your allegiance, your faithfulness. And your honor, and that requires intention, God's grace and His Holy Spirit. Are we soldiers? If we are, we must be honorable soldiers. And one day, when we stand before God, our name is going to be in that book. And that's the only register, registry you need to make sure you're in. That book of life. The Lord put the icing on the top of this message. And I said, Lord, I said, poor Uriah. I said, you know, he went down and he was was murdered. He was deceived. And the people that were the closest to him did that to him. It just goes to show you human nature can stoop to such lows. But he said, there's not a martyr. And he was a martyr. There's not a martyr that does not go down and be recorded. And the Lord said, I want you to go to the genealogy in the book of Matthew. And I close with this. And it says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it goes on from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob all the way down till you get to that sixth verse. And it says, And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. He said, I never let Urias go down without being noted what a man of God he was. He said, The genealogy. I know not physically, but God said, I'm going to record him. Amen. 
I'm going to record him. Praise God. I'm going to make sure that everybody knows how I felt about Uriah. Church, in this time, we have to have that same example. Let us be that honorable soldier that says, what about the Spirit of God? What about the body of Christ? I can't just be concerned with my life. I've got to care about this body. I've got to care about the unity in this body. Let me repeat myself. I've got to care about the unity of this body, and the unity in this body requires me to be intentional and purposeful. So when somebody wants to come and talk to me about my body, that's when I got to say, hey, no. And it happens, and it's happened, and it'll come across your doorstep again. But that's when we have to say, you know what? No, we cannot sit here and talk about our body. We cannot sit here and talk about our body. That's my body. Kevin's my body. I love him. I love him. Amen. And somebody one time, they started in on somebody. They're not even here anymore, but they started in on this person that had gotten saved in our church. They started in on him. And I, I, I just remember something just welled up within me. And I thought, you know, Lord, I remember that person whenever they were just lost. You saved them. I remember when they hit the altar. I remember what I was preaching when they hit the altar. I remember I was preaching on the woman at the well, and the very word that I said was that, that if we don't allow Christ to fill that void, we have a void that's huge, and he's the only one that can fill it. We try to fill it with a man, but we can't fill it with a man. We have to fill it with God and his spirit, and I said, there's that void. And I remember that person they looked. It was a woman. And she just looked and it like clicked. She fell in that altar. She boohooed. She cried. She wept. She went home and told the boyfriend, you know what? Ain't no, going to be no more of this. I got saved today. And if you want to be with me, you're going to put a ring on it or you're going to find another place to live. And I remember, I, I mean, I, you know, I was the Antichrist for about a month. The whole family was ticked off at me, but I said, you know what? I'm so proud of you. That person got in. They got saved. God began to touch them. The first thing they said is, Pastor, how do I pay my tithe? I said, well, you got right. Ooh, you got right. When God gets you, he gets your pocketbook. <laughs> Amen. It needs to go here all the way to here. Amen. Or that purse. <laughs> but somebody came and they said, well, I want to tell you about this person. This is what I said, hold it right there. That's my body. That lady is my family. I watched her be born. And you want me to sit here at this table and hear you talk about her and talk trash? I ain't going to do it. Too much talk in the church. Too much talk in our church. You want to destroy a church? Just start gossiping. Just start tearing things down. Do you know what? The best thing to do is when somebody starts and say, you know what, let's pray for them. Obviously they're, on, obviously, they're on your heart. So let's agree in prayer right now. Uh, look, it's, there's a propensity and that temptation the devil will make sure because it's real juicy and everybody wants to, you know, but the devil will get you at a moment. You've got to stop. Stop. We have to endeavor to want to be in unity in this church. And it requires you to say, I want that. 
And I have to be a person that is a participant in that and a part of the solution. I know somebody, you know, if I got an issue with somebody, go to them and tell them, I'm sorry. Look, I just want unity in the body. I care about the ark. I care about the, I care about the presence of God. Amen. I don't care about my reputation or what you think about anybody else. I care about the presence of God. That's the only thing that matters. That's all. This morning, do you have that Uriah heart? Do you have that desire? Amen. Before we leave, before we leave this morning, worship team, would you come? Would you come? I can honestly say I feel I have delivered my heart, delivered my soul. Let's, let's just close this time. And if God is dealing with you about something, we're going to have one more time. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I can tell you, you can today. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I, we had a, an altar call earlier, Lord, and I believe that you did a great work. And I'm asking you, Lord, right now to just begin to draw one more time if there's somebody in this place that needs to get right. If you didn't answer that altar call, earlier. Lord, if they didn't answer that altar call earlier, I'm praying, Lord, that you'll draw them by your Spirit one more time. Speak by your Spirit, Lord. Minister them in this house. If you're here this morning you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I encourage you to come. Fill the altar this morning. Make things right with God. Let Him minister to your heart. He will this morning Maybe I preached something that convicted you in your heart. Let God touch you this morning as we close and sing, Here I am, Lord. He's faithful this morning. Maybe you're going through something. Let God touch you this morning. You may be right with God. I'm not saying that you're not. But you may need to just Cry out to God today and be touched by Him. Would you come?